excited to be with you again, uh, even though we have to keep meeting this way through these screens. Um, but uh, for this moment, I am grateful that we are worshiping together right now live. And so um, I'm excited to be starting a new sermon series today. I always get excited for a new sermon series, and I'm particularly excited for this one because I believe it's going to speak directly in to the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Now, if you were with us the last five weeks, we were in a series titled, Jesus is the Subject. And what was interesting about that was that six months ago, as I was planning out the preaching calendar for 2020, I had plugged that one in to take us into Easter, not knowing that the first Sunday of that series, we would be meeting online as a congregation for the first time. And that series was perfect timing for our congregation, for our world. And this one was not planned, but over the last five weeks, this new series, in the meantime, kept coming to mind over and over and over again. And I'll be honest and upfront with you, this is a series that I have preached before. In fact, it's a series that I heard Andy Stanley preach six or seven years ago when I was in a meantime moment in my life and in our family's life. And as I listened to that series, I knew I needed to share it the content, the Bible stories, the applications. I needed to share those with my church family at that time. And over the last four or five weeks, that series keeps coming to mind. And so I've made a change and moved that into this season of life where collectively we find ourselves in the meantime. And the first time I preached this series, it was kind of interesting because I was, I was hoping to encourage people who maybe were finding themselves in a meantime experience um, when everyone else around them wasn't necessarily in a meantime experience. Uh, but today it's different because we're all kind of in a meantime experience. And I'll tell you what that uh, means or how that uh, is interpreted. But one thing I want you to understand, my default as a preacher is to preach sort of what you might call a high challenge message. Uh, That's just where I gravitate towards personally. Um, As far as when I'm reading scripture, I, I look for what is it calling out of me? What is it asking me to do? And what are the calls to action? And then to incorporate those. So as a preacher, a lot of times I tend to take that approach. I tend to, um, to focus on what is the vision that God's word is casting for my life or our life or our church, and how do we respond to that? And so uh, this is not going to be one of those series, and uh, it's going to feel more like therapy. It's going to feel more like acknowledging where we are, and now what do we do in the meantime? What do you do when there's nothing you can do? Because maybe even before we found ourselves in the middle of a a global pandemic, there were some challenges, there were some issues. Maybe you were in a season of financial strain, and this has only magnified that. Or maybe you had some relationships that weren't quite working the way you wanted them to work, and this has magnified that. If you came into COVID-19 with a shaky marriage, and now you're working from home and spending more time at home, that, that's going to, you're going to feel that. Or if you had some tensions with your children, and now they're home 24-7, and you're their teacher, that's going to accentuate that. So what do you do in the meantime? What do you do when there's really nothing you can do? Because one of the statements that really typifies the meantime is the statement that you hear sometimes, it is what it is, and that's just the way it is. And right now, it is what it is, and that's just the way it is. 
And so this is our new normal. And there are things that have become normal in the last three or four weeks that were never normal before. I have spent more time on Zoom calls in the last four weeks than I had spent in my entire life up to that point. Or maybe you're a homeschool parent for the first time in your life, and you're working from home, and you're trying to juggle all of that at once. Or maybe you just find yourself like me. I've spent more time staring out the window in the last four weeks than I had ever spent in my life. And whether I'm at home or I'm sitting in my office, I'll realize, how long have I been staring out the window? There's, there's things that are becoming normal today that were never normal before. And so as we move into this new normal and you consider the meantime, you might be playing the different options in your mind and you don't like any of them, honestly. Like, there's really nowhere to run away to. You can't run away. You can't really quit or check out because that's not going to work. It's easy to get resentful or to... uh, get angry or to start comparing your life to everyone else. And I read this, uh, this last couple of weeks, they're saying the average person is spending one and a half to two and a half times as much time on social media where comparisons become toxic. And you see the beautiful and the wonderful crafts that all of your friends are making with their kids in the meantime, and you're sitting at home thinking, that's not what's happening at my house. And we tar- start to make comparisons and we start to feel like this is going to last a while. And if we're not careful, we can tell ourselves some lies in the meantime. And the enemy comes along and he helps us with this and he plants little seeds in our head. And we start to tell ourselves lies like, I'll never be happy again. And we use big absolute words like never in the meantime. And if we're not careful, we'll start to believe them. And we might even become a little cynical or a little jaded in the meantime. And if that goes on long enough, we can start to believe another lie, like nothing good can come from this. Nothing good can come from this. And I don't want to hear some Bible story about how it all worked out for somebody else because it's different for me. And these are lies that we tell ourselves in the meantime. And if we're not careful, we'll start to consider another lie that says there's really no point in continuing. I should just check out. And that's not going to be good. So as a pastor, I see these situations all the time. Typically, individuals or families that are in a meantime moment. And this is the first time that I've had to experience collectively a meantime moment for everyone with all the uncertainty that goes with it. And to look into the eyes of people and understand that's a business that may not exist at the end of this or or. That's a home that they might not have at the end of this. Or uh, not to mention the medical uncertainty. If you came into this with health issues that have now been complicated or exacerbated or it's harder to get the care that you need or you're terrified of going out because you might catch this and, and it could have a drastic impact on your life, these are all realities that we find ourselves in today that weren't even contemplated a month ago or two months ago. And so what I'm trying to remember is that when we're in the meantime, we don't necessarily need a solution right off the bat. We need to be reassured. We need to be heard. 
We need to understand these things. As a pastor, I used to come into these situations when somebody would come and they would explain the situation that they were in, and I would think, oh, well, here's something you should try, or here's a Bible verse, or, or whatever. And I remember those, weren't, those meetings weren't going very well, and people didn't leave encouraged, and they didn't leave feeling better. And I remember talking to my senior pastor as a young associate, and he said, oh, Mark, you should never present a solution or a suggestion until the third or fourth time that you visit with somebody about an issue like that. And I learned to stop saying, here's what you should do, and start asking more questions. And I want to encourage you to do the same for yourself, to ask yourself some more questions, to explore the emotions that go with this and the feelings that go with the the circumstance that we find ourselves in and the feelings about our feelings. You see, that's what's really interesting to me. And one of the things that I learned as I started to sit with people is that we don't just have feelings. We also have feelings about our feelings. And so if we feel guilty about something, we can feel guilty for feeling guilty. Or if we feel anxious, we can feel guilty for feeling anxious. Or we can feel anxiety around our anxiety. And if we're not careful and we don't really explore those, then we latch on to one solution after another, and sometimes they can make it worse. And so today, as we consider the new normal that we find ourselves in, I'm not going to present a lot of solutions. We're going to acknowledge, we're going to sort of triage what this season of life is like, and what are a few things that we know, even in the meantime. Because one of the big questions that I get when people come to me in a meantime experience, one of the questions that I've heard a number of times or seen represented on social media a number of times is this big question, does God know, does God care, is God concerned with the situation that I'm in? And then sometimes there's a secondary question, do the scriptures speak to this? Does the Bible have anything to say about this? And that's a great question to ask when you find yourself in the meantime is, What does God's word say about this? And so we're going to look at that today. But the good news is, if you're a Christian, the New Testament speaks directly into the meantime moments of our lives. In fact, if you're not a Christian, if you found this, if you stumbled upon it, if somebody shared it with you, and you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, the good news is that the New Testament, which is a historical, validated historical document, speaks directly into this question, where's God in the meantime? And one of the benefits of the meantime is that maybe God has your undivided attention for the first time or for the first time in a long time. And he has things that he wants you to know in the meantime. And so our bottom line today, I'm going to give it to you early because it answers that big question. And then we're going to look at one story and I'm going to encourage you to to study another story on your own. But the bottom line today is that God is not absent, apathetic, or angry in the meantime. He is not absent. He is not far off. He is not unaware of what is going on because he's not in the midst of it with us. He is present in the meantime. And he is not apathetic. He is not unconcerned with what's going on. He is not unfeeling toward us and toward the suffering that people are enduring in the meantime. And he's not angry. Instead, he is here. He promised he would never leave us. He would never forsake us. And we have to be very, very careful in the meantime to not mistake his silence, real or perceived, for his absence. He is with us. And not only is he with us, but he cares. 
He absolutely cares. He can't help it. He has such a passionate, caring, feeling heart towards us, to to those that he created in his image, that he cannot help but feel towards us and walk through this situation with us. Scripture is crystal clear. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. And he is passionately involved in the affairs of his people. And lastly, he is not angry. He is not angry. And one of the questions that we ask is, what did I do to deserve this? Or what did we collectively do to deserve this? Where did I go wrong? Where did we go wrong? Maybe we just need to remember what we looked at last week. That the good news of the gospel is that God so loved the world, not the Christians, not the righteous, not the good people. He loved the whole world. He loved you. And he so loved this whole world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, will not perish. And the reason that I know the bottom line is true, the reason that I know that God is not absent, apathetic, or angry in the meantime is the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, he poured out all of his anger on Jesus, his only begotten son, so that the lamb could overcome, which we celebrated last week. He doesn't have anger left for us. He hates sin, but he is not angry at us. He poured out all his wrath on Christ. And those of us who come to God through Christ experience his love and his grace and his forgiveness. He is not angry with you in the meantime. And there are two familiar stories in the New Testament where some fantastic people had in the meantime experiences. And so I want to look at one of them. It's found in Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. It focuses on John the Baptist. And I was thinking about that this week, that you could make a pretty strong case that John the Baptist was the first real Christian. He was the first person who got it, who understood who Jesus was. And when he sees Jesus in John chapter 1, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Months or maybe even years before Peter's declaration that he was the Messiah or before the Roman centurion that we talked about last week realized that he was the Son of God, that, that John the Baptist understood and knew some things about Jesus before anybody else did. And yet he finds himself in a meantime moment. And so I want to look at this. I'll read these six verses, and then we'll talk through them and understand what's going on here. But in Matthew chapter 11, we read these words. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison that what Jesus was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. So to give you a little bit of context or a little bit of history, John the Baptist is in prison. We hear that in verse 2. But 
you have to go back a little further to find out why he was in prison. And there's some, some extra biblical stuff that tells us a little bit more about that. And the broad strokes of it are that he got into trouble because he was taking shots at King Herod, who was the Jewish king that had been installed or put in place by the Roman government to sort of help keep the peace with the, the Jewish people. And his father's name was Herod. Um, his name was Herod Antipas. He had a brother named Herod Philip, because that's what you did at that time. You named everybody after yourself. In fact, he even had a niece named Herodias. So they took the Herod name and they made it a girl's name as well. And things started to get a little bit crazy when Herod Antipas, his brother Herod Philip, took a real liking to his niece, I know, ooh, Herodias. And he decided to take Herodias as his wife. I know. And then, as that's happening, he gets called back to Rome, which happened when you were a subject or a government, a governor in the Roman system, you might get called back there. So Herod Philip goes back to Rome, and it gets even weirder because Herod Antipas now takes a liking to his sister in law slash niece and makes her his wife. And so John the Baptist naturally kind of had an issue with this and spoke out against it, and it landed him in prison. And so that's why he's in prison, and that's why all this is going on uh, when, when we hear that he's in prison and he hears from prison that Jesus is uh, doing what he's doing. And it's interesting, there's a little bit more that kind of fleshes this out or or adds light to this. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, we find out what Jesus did when he heard that John the Baptist was in prison. We're told that when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Don't we want it to say he rushed down there and pleaded on his behalf? Or when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he and the disciples went by night and busted him out? Or at least that when, John, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he, he went to visit him and bring him some food and a blanket or, or something like that? But no, we're told that he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. And incidentally, verses like Matthew 4, 12, and 13 are verses, for me at least, that give a lot of credibility to the New Testament and to the gospel writers because if you were creating a mythological figure out of Jesus, you would never say something like this because it doesn't fit. It doesn't show Jesus as the hero going to rescue John the Baptist. Instead, it shows that John the Baptist had a meantime moment that every one of us can identify with. And this becomes a little clearer if you take a look at the map uh, that accompanies this, and you see that Nazareth and Capernaum are up in the north, and Jerusalem and Machaerus, which is where John was in prison, are down in the south. And so when Jesus is in Nazareth and he hears that John the Baptist is in prison in Machaerus, he does not go south to Machaerus. He goes north. To Capernaum. And this gets even harder to stomach when we see what Machaerus looked like. You see, there's a picture of Machaerus, and it shows this barren desert wasteland of a place. And John is in a dungeon in that hillside, and Herod had built a palace on top of it. And so John's in the dungeon listening to the king who has put him in prison have parties in the palace up above him. 
And where did Jesus go? Jesus went to Capernaum. We got a picture of Capernaum too. It, it feels a lot like, at least I can imagine being John the Baptist, and it feeling a lot like Jesus is at the beach, and I'm stuck in the desert, in a dungeon, for over a year. And this is John the Baptist who begins to doubt. In the meantime, this is John the Baptist who said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is John the Baptist who baptizes Jesus in the River Jordan sometime before this. And as Jesus is coming up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord descends like a dove upon him. And the voice from heaven says, Behold, this is my Son who I love. In him I am well pleased. That's who's beginning to doubt in the desert in the dungeon. And I find that strangely encouraging for my moments of doubt, for the times when I've felt my faith begin to waver. That even John the Baptist, who Jesus says just a few verses on in Matthew eleven eleven, that no one born of a woman has become greater than John the Baptist, that he is it, that among those born of women... There has not arisen one greater than John the Baptist. I mean, that's pretty high praise coming from the Savior of the world. And so we can be encouraged that even John the Baptist, who had first-hand proof and inside knowledge, began to doubt. And Jesus' response in Matthew chapter 5, that, that he tells John's followers, go back. Tell him what's happening. Tell him I am the one. He doesn't need to wait for another one. And basically, in verse 5, that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Basically, go back and tell John the Baptist everything I'm doing for everyone else. Or at least that's how it feels in the meantime. But the reality is he still loves you. Jesus still loves John the Baptist in the desert dungeon. That's why he speaks so such high praise about him in the verses that follow. And he still loves you, even in the meantime, even when the circumstances keep getting harder and darker and worse. And this final verse that we're looking at today in Matthew chapter 11, verse 6, is a powerful, powerful verse. As Jesus says, here's what I want you to tell him. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. Blessed is the one who does not fall away in the meantime. Blessed is the one who continues to trust, who does not mistake God's silence for his absence or his indifference in the meantime. Who remembers Jesus is not mad. Jesus is not uncaring, and Jesus is not absent in the meantime. And there's another story with a happier ending. If you know how the John the Baptist story ends, you know it does not end well. Spoiler alert. His head ends up on a platter. It does not end well for John the Baptist. But there is a happier in the meantime story, and that's the one that I want you to read this week, maybe even today. There's no sports on, or the sports that are on are replays from a decade ago. You've got time. Get out your Bible and read John chapter 11, the whole thing, verses 1 through 44. It's the story of Lazarus. It has a better ending. 
And I want you to read through that in the context of this message. And I want, to add, want you to ask yourself some questions like, what does it say? What does this say? What does that mean? And how does it apply to me today? And if you really want to dive into it, you could get out your soap journal, your Linwood banding together journal, and you could have an extra page in there where you make, you write out a verse or two that really stands out to you from John chapter 11. You make a few observations, scripture, observation, application. After you make some observations, you make application. This is what that means to me today. And then write out a prayer. And I think that will help cement this whole thing in your mind. Because the bottom line, is, as we've covered before, is that God is not absent, he is not apathetic, and he is not angry in the meantime. And you have to hold on to that truth. And this is where faith intersects with reality. And faith comes in alongside our feelings. And we remind ourselves, and we doubt our doubts, and we feed our faith. And we find that there is hope, there is joy, there is purpose in the meantime. And so, remember we talked about these lies that we tell ourselves? That we'll never be happy again? That nothing good can come from this? That there's no purpose, no point in moving on? I want to ask you to say these things with me. If you've thought either of those three, I want you to say just the opposite. And I want you to actually say this out loud. And maybe write these down and say them at the beginning of each day. As we move through these, I want you to say them with me. I can be happy again. I can. And if you could be so bold to say, I will. I will be happy again. And that will bring joy back into the equation for you. And if you would say the next one, something good can come from this. Or be so bold as to say, something good will come from this. And that will bring hope back into the equation. And the final one, there is purpose for this pain. We're all experiencing pain to some degree. And pain without purpose or pain with no purpose in sight is some of the most unbearable pain. But when we realize, when we remember that there is purpose for pain, that God does not waste pain, that there's always a purpose for it, there's always something wonderful that follows it, that brings a sense of of purpose to the meantime. And so I want to encourage you to tune in next week when we talk about a purpose and a promise that God has for us in the meantime. And I want to remind you one more time that he poured out his anger on his only begotten son so that you could be spared, so that you could endure the meantime. He turned away from Jesus, but he hasn't turned away from you. He's with you. In the meantime, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you that you are with us in the meantime. We thank you that you love us and you come to us. We thank you, Lord, that that we don't have to be alone in the meantime, that we don't have to doubt in the meantime, that we can remind ourselves of your goodness and your grace. And Lord, I pray for each person listening to this, that you would be present to them right now, and that they would know 
that you're with them in the meantime, that you're not absent, you're not apathetic, and you are not angry. Be with us, even in the meantime. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.